So Jason was just talking about the uh, next year's Awana Summit trip. And uh, I went to this past year's Awana Summit trip out in California. And while we were there, we went to this big shopping center. And on one side of it, it had a Target. On the other side, it had a Walmart. You know, who knew that those two could live together? And in the middle, it had a convict store that I could get lost in forever. But, um, but I went to Target looking for something to buy for, you know, my family and so forth, mementos to take back home. And I found a shirt that I was going to purchase for my, for my youngest son, Robbie. And so I went to the, uh, to the Target register. I paid for it, and the lady asked me, she said, do you want a bag to put this in? And I'm thinking, I have a shirt on, so I'm not going to wear this one out of the store. And number two, back home, if I try to walk out of the store with a shirt that's not in a bag, you're going to see a Facebook post with my picture on it in black and white saying, have you seen this guy? He must have, to- he must have stolen this shirt. So obviously, I'm like, yes, obviously I want a bag. Well, I come to find out later that out there, this is from someone who shopped at the Walmart on the other end of the shopping center, I found out they charge you 15 cents per bag that you get. And I know it's not a lot, but really, I had overcomplicated the process, and because I overcomplicated it, I had to pay the price, okay? And there are certain situations in life where you know what to do. If someone comes up to you and says, hi, how are you? How are you supposed to respond? I'm good. How are you? Right? We know what to do. If your friend is eating nachos and they say, would you like a nacho? Obviously the answer is yes. But when you reach to get one, you get a pretty good nacho, but you don't take the one that has, you know, this much cheese on it. Right? Because we recognize the situation and we say to ourselves, I want a pretty good nacho, but I'm not going to eat the best nacho on their plate because if you do, what happens the next time they have nachos? You get none. And a pretty good nacho this time and again the next time is better than the best nacho today, right? So if you're driving and the light turns yellow, what do you do? You speed up to try and make it through before it's full on red, right? Um, but, but if you're driving and you see a police car, even if you're going the speed limit, what do you do? It's break time, amigos, right? You, you slow it down regardless. So we recognize that there are certain situations in life where we know what to do. You don't have to think about them because they're just not that complicated. Last week we started this series called Fall Back. The idea we're getting across is we need to fall back and focus on some fundamental, basic, important things. And last week, Zach talked about the importance of church, of gathering in church, and of being the church. And this week, we're going to look at what's next, okay? You know, I'm in church, so what now? So this week, we want to fall back and recognize the importance of baptism and communion. And I'll be honest with you, when Zach and I were discussing this upcoming series a few weeks ago, he asked me if there were any of the topics that we were going to discuss that I wanted to cover, and I jumped at this one. I'm thinking there is so much I can discuss and talk about, about baptism and communion, 
But then it came time to actually start putting this together. And that's when I remembered there's a good amount of stuff here that some Christians get really bent out of shape over. And here we are, y'all. How you doing this morning? So we're going to go into this, though. And, and I know a lot of us come from different backgrounds. And I don't know every you know, upbringing and background that, that is represented here. But I would ask that you put aside any preconceived notions and any defensiveness about these topics as we turn to what the Bible says about them. And maybe you're even thinking, well, I have this friend who goes to whatever church, and they have this verse they like to bring up if we talk about baptism, and I don't quite think that they're right, but honestly, um, but they say this, and I don't know what to say when they say it when they go when they're talking in response. And honestly, I'm not going to equip you to argue with them today because, number one, we would be here way longer than you probably want to be here to go that deep. But number two, they probably aren't really looking to consider your, your viewpoint anyways. If they argue with you, guess what? They just like to argue, okay? And I can help you find better things to do with your time and with your efforts than to argue back with them. But for us here today, let's dig in. So we're talking about these two practices, baptism and communion, that were both initiated by Christ as practices for the church. And some churches teach that baptism and communion are essentials for salvation. Others teach that they're important, but that they're practices for those who are already saved. Taking on the question of whether baptism and communion play a part in salvation, I want to look at two verses in the Bible that discuss what God requires from us for salvation. The first one you're probably super familiar with, you could quote without even thinking about it, and that's John 3.16. It tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the second one we have is Romans 10.9, which tells us, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, in these two verses, there is consistency and there's harmony in talking about what you need to do to be saved. So, if we only went by John 3.16 and what it tells us about salvation, what do we need to do to be saved? Believe, right? If you go by Romans 10.9 and we only have that to go by, what do we need to do to be saved? Believe, same thing, right? So with these verses in mind, guys, here's the deal. Baptism and communion are not essential for salvation. This matters because we are really setting ourselves up for errors when we add anything onto what God says on the topic of salvation. That's where we run into problems with religion, and that's where religion can lead people astray. Because there are a lot of people out there who mean well, who want to better themselves and have better lives, who think, I need a little bit of religion in my life. But the fact is, a little bit of religion can do a whole lot of harm. There are so many cults and so many false religions in the world that are leading people down the wrong path. They're leading people down a path that sounds good, but doesn't lead to being right with God. 
So if we take these verses and we start with believe in Jesus plus, and we say believe in Jesus plus get baptized, believe in Jesus plus take communion, believe in Jesus plus do five good works a week, believe in Jesus plus come to this particular church, plus say this prayer for your dead relatives, plus learn to do a really nice cartwheel and dye your hair purple or whatever, you know, and I'm, and I'm not comparing, you know, someone who says you have to be baptized to be saved to, you know, David Koresh or Jim Jones or Reverend Moon or anything like that. But when you start tagging additional things onto what the Bible says about what you need to do to get saved, who decides where we stop? And I say let's stop here with what the Bible says, which is believe in Jesus. Let's stop where the Bible does because at a certain point are we placing our faith in Christ for salvation or are we trusting in the church membership or the good works or the communion or the baptism? Because if that's where we are placing our faith instead of placing our belief and our faith in Christ, then we aren't doing what God said we need to do to be saved. So with that said... While neither baptism nor communion are essential to salvation, they are important. And we're going to take a few minutes this morning and look at that. So first, let's talk about baptism. But before we do, I just found, out, found this out this past week. Did you know that on the uh, Costa Rica trip a few weeks ago, Pastor Zach performed a, uh, a baptism? Yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. You'll get that on the way home. All right, All right but back on topic. Let's talk about where baptism comes from. The first time we see someone perform, actually performing a baptism and calling that in the Bible, who is it? Who's the person doing it? Right, John the Baptist. Okay, good, you've heard of John the Baptist. And the concept, though, comes from well before John was born. If you look in the Old Testament, you can find this Hebrew tradition of purification by washing in water. So, for instance... If you had certain diseases, or if you had touched someone with certain diseases, you needed to wash for purification, which, come to find out in the last couple of centuries, is actually a very good practice, right? But let's look in Leviticus chapter 15, where it says, If he touches you, referring to someone with a disease, you must wash your clothes and bathe in water. You will be unclean until evening. So John comes along in the New Testament, and he adapts this practice not for the physically ill, not for the physically unclean, but for those who are looking to be spiritually cleansed. So John is out in the wilderness. He's preaching, you know, repent and be baptized. So here's why baptism matters. Baptism equals aligning with God. So guys, salvation is entirely God's provision. Baptism is man's participation. And so as and John was there for a specific purpose. He's there to get people ready for Jesus. Do you remember high school pep rallies? It's like we all get together and we all get excited for what's ahead because the pep rally isn't the game. Right? You get together, you get excited for what's going to happen. So John is the one saying, people, get ready, turn back to God, 
because here comes the Savior. So it's like a pep rally, but then one day, John is baptizing, and it's game time. So here comes Jesus walking up to John, and let's read about it in John chapter 1. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So we're familiar with this story for the most part. Here comes Jesus, and he gets John to baptize him. What happens when, uh, when Jesus comes out of the water? All right, the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove, and they hear the voice of God the Father saying, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased, right? So did Jesus come to John that day to be baptized because he needed forgiveness of his sins? No. Did he come to John because he needed to be saved? No. All right, he was God made flesh. He was the creator. He was already a citizen of heaven. All right? Baptism has nothing to do with citizenship in heaven. John, he saw Jesus coming and he knew what was up. He said, I'm here to reveal him. Baptism wasn't so Jesus could have access to heaven. It was to reveal Jesus to earth. We get baptized today for that same reason. Baptism isn't about your citizenship, okay? Baptism is about revealing who we are. Baptism is how we make what's on the outside match what's on the inside. You know, we wear our favorite sports teams and, and stuff from our favorite TV shows and comic book characters and whatever else on our hats and on our shirts to show people what we're interested in, to show them what's going on inside of us, right? It's like this is who I am and this is what I'm wearing. So baptism says that in regards to who we are in God. Baptism says I am declaring publicly that I'm a child of God. So maybe you haven't been baptized, but you're a believer, and you have one of those cool, fishy bumper stickers on your car, and I say, you know, that's great. Thank you for your statement of faith. But baptism is God's chosen way for us to publicly align with him. So if you've trusted in God, in God if you've trusted in Christ, and you've chosen not to be baptized then you are disobedient in that area of your life. And a lot of you are parents, and you can probably relate to this. Sometimes I'll tell my children to do something, and they'll decide they would rather do something different than what I told them to do. And they have their reasons, and sometimes it's a good reason why they don't want to do what I told them to do. Sometimes it just doesn't speak to me deep down in my soul. But at the end of the day... Do you know what I want more than their reasons? Their obedience. So when you get down to, this, to the simplest terms, we're talking obedience versus disobedience. So we're, when we're talking about baptism, it's the same thing. It's obedience to God versus disobedience to God. Has God been good to you? Has God taken care of you? 
then you should be obedient to him. God is far more interested in your obedience than in your talent, your charisma, your knowledge, your sense of humor, your work ethic, whatever you can name. God would rather you bring your obedience than anything else that you can bring. And maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, come on, Trav, you're trying to make me feel guilty. I'm not. Don't want to, not sure I could if I did want to. Guilt is the domain of the enemy. And so if you're feeling guilty, you can act. That's in your hands, all right? There's a difference between reasons and excuses. And if you haven't been baptized as a believer, I'm sure you have reasons that mean something to you. All right, I believe you. But if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling guilty, you're saying, I am a believer, but I haven't been baptized, that's like you're carrying around a 500-pound weight. Meanwhile, your reasons are over here, and they're just a feather that you're carrying around. So your reasons are, are just a feather in comparison. So why are you staying underneath that weight of guilt? You know what Jesus did after he was baptized? This is when Jesus kicks off his public ministry, okay? He goes from John out to the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then, boom, you have three years of preaching and miracles and showing people how to be right with God. And, guys, if you really want to be effective as a believer, then you really ought to be baptized. You you need to be. God doesn't need our assistance with saving people. But he does want us playing a role in in raising others in the faith. In fact, one of his final messages to his followers on earth is what we refer to as the Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, 19, it tells us this. So go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them. Do what to them? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, guys truly matters to God. And I hope you can take that home with you, or better yet, if you need to, I hope you bring that back here with you so we can go ahead and get you baptized if you haven't been. Next thing I want us to realize about baptism is this. Baptism follows faith and should happen soon after conversion. So this is what we call believer's baptism, and there are several examples of this in the Bible, but let's look at just one. So over in the book of Acts, there's a young Christian by the name of Philip. And he comes across the path of this servant of the queen of Ethiopia. And and this guy is reading in the Old Testament. Specifically, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip is all, well, I think I'll head over to this guy and evangelize a little bit. And Philip takes some time to explain Jesus to this guy. And then in Acts chapter 8... Starting at verse 36, this happens. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So the scriptural pattern is someone believes and then they're baptized. You know, some churches do practice infant baptism. 
And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's in the name. It's baptizing infants, okay? And, but, but I don't know how they get the babies to confess Christ. I don't know. Do, do you ask the baby, do you want to follow Christ? You pinch the baby, the baby cries, and you're like, I take that as a yes. I'm not, I'm not clear on how all that works. But if we're using the Bible as their guide, then there is no, no foundation for baptizing babies, okay? And we don't practice that here because we don't want someone getting the wrong idea about their status with God. We don't want somebody saying, okay, well, I was baptized as a child, so I'm good whether I have any faith or not. It's not what we want to happen. So baptism, when it doesn't follow a confession of belief, is just getting wet. So that's why we practice believer's baptism. But the last thing we want to discuss about baptism is how we baptize. Because some churches baptize by sprinkling water on you. Other churches, you know, will pour water on you. Here, we immerse believers in water. Full-on dunking, right? But, but there are a couple of reasons for that. One, the instances we find throughout the Bible where people are baptized... They're baptized through immersion in water. So with the apostles as their example, we do the same thing. But we also have this from the Apostle Paul, where he defines what baptism is to represent. Romans 6, 4, he writes, So then, I'm sorry, so when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. So just from an optics standpoint, okay, you can see where going underwater and then raising out of it can, can be seen to represent the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So if baptism is designed to be a visual representation of that, and according to Paul it is, then if I stand here and you sprinkle water on me, or you pour it over my head, do, do you get death, burial, and resurrection from that? You don't, right? The same meaning is just not there. You're just getting wet. So some of you have concerns about messing up your hair. You know, I, I get you, my hair is my pride and joy. But, but guys, hair can be fixed, okay? You can put it in a ponytail, you'll be fine. But guys, if you're a Christ follower and you haven't been scripturally baptized, I'm encouraging you guys, get that taken care of because that's what Christ demands, and requires of us. All right, let's move on and talk about communion or the Lord's Supper. So if baptism is us aligning with God, then communion equals us aligning with God's team. The, the idea we have is, is to have a time where we focus on Christ's body and blood, but it's something we participate in together. All right, In the church at Corinth, they had some issues arise around the topic of communion, and Paul wrote to them to provide some correction. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 20. <clears throat> so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? By humiliating those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. matter. So rather than celebrate the Lord's Supper 
as a reflection of Jesus' last supper with his disciples. They were gathering in their own little cliques and excluding one another from their suppers. It's like you maybe have a group over here that's having escargot and sushi and they're getting drunk. Meanwhile, you have this group over here and they're having biscuits and gravy and sweet tea. And and they're better off anyways. But either way you look at it, neither group is actually participating in the Lord's Supper because they're being separate and they're not doing what God said to do. So none of them are actually doing what they ought to be doing, okay? This would be as if you turned on a radio station to listen to country music and some fool is rapping on there, okay? It's like, you know, this situation done got mislabeled, okay? This doesn't belong here. But rather than just leave them with, this is what you're doing wrong, fools, Paul continues on to explain the proper way to do communion. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul gives this instruction because the Lord's Supper, which was designed by God to remind us that we are united into one body of Christ, had instead become a cause for division among the Corinthians. When in fact it should be a time of coming together. The point is to align ourselves as the body of Christ. But number two, communion also, it should be a time of self-examination. Paul, if you go on and read in that chapter, he warns us about eating or drinking unworthily. But there's something that I've always found really interesting in the first Last Supper... When Jesus is, is with the disciples having the Last Supper and he talks about betrayal, who do we think of? Right, we, we go straight to, oh, well, this is where, where he's going to talk about Judas. But I think that we miss a lot of times something very important that happened. Here's from Matthew 26. It says, And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? So that happens, and, and the disciples aren't like, oh, I know he's talking about Judas, right? They don't know. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And one by one, they say, is it me? Is it I, Lord? And so we have this tendency to, to say, you know, is it I, Lord? And when is the last time, though, that you had... And is it I, Lord, moment? When is the last time you considered your actions and whether or not you're really, you know, doing what God wants you to do? All right, so they all had the self-awareness to say, I am not immune to failure here. When is the last time you said, is it I, Lord? When is the last time you considered what areas of your life might need correction? Is there something in your life that's driving guilt in you? Again, guys, Satan is the accuser. Satan is the one who wants you to feel guilty rather than get things right. 
So, so guilt is his game, not God's. So you are not your sin. You are not your failure. So I want you to think on this. What defines you? Because it's not your mistakes that define you. It's not your brain chemistry that defines you. It's not your disabilities or your past that define you. God says who you are. And that's why these two practices are vital to your Christian walk. That's why they're so important. They identify you with the God who defines you. So putting it simply, baptism is aligning with God. Communion is aligning with God's team. Last week, Zach talked about the importance of the church. Fact is, we are here to help you grow in your walk with with Christ. So what does that next step look like for you? How can we, as a church, help you become a more mature Christ follower? You know, there are so many ways that you can get in touch with the staff and leadership at this church, okay? You can fill out a connection card that are there on your seats. You can email us. I'm here. I'm a person, not a hologram. You can come up and talk to me after service, okay? I don't bite. You can, you, can, you can go to the church webpage and contact us. You can contact us on Facebook or Instagram. You can do that personally. You can reach out through the church social media pages. However you prefer to holler, if you need to holler at somebody to get something right in your life, holler at us, okay? Next week, we're going to take communion together as a church. So, so I'm challenging you this week. Take time for an is it I examination. Is there maybe a grudge that you're holding and you feel like you need to get that out of your life before then? Is there some other aspect of your life that is hindering you from being who you know God wants you to be? Maybe you haven't made a commitment to Christ at all. Do you want to? Guys, we can talk about that one-on-one. I'd be happy to. And you can lay your sin down and leave here without that heavy weight on you. We don't want to have communion next week and just give you a cracker and some juice because this ain't kindergarten. I don't want to just give you a little religion. I'd love for you to have a relationship with Jesus and take communion with us. We'd love for you to be part of this body. So again, we're having communion next week. We would love to have a baptism next week too. Contact us any of these ways and we'll have the baptistry filled up and ready to go for you. I've been in there. It has like four jets that let the water in and only one drain. So we can fill it up faster than we can let it out. Okay, so if you're here and you need to be saved, let's get you saved and baptized next week. If you're here and you're already saved, but you haven't been baptized, let's get that corrected next week. Let us know that that's what you intend to do. Contact us any of those ways and we'll be ready for you. But if you've never been scripturally baptized, let's get that settled. Don't hesitate. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to be together and I just thank you for, for your word and, and for letting us know what you want and what you require of us. And I thank you that, that you save so easily and that our part is just so small in comparison. I thank you for all that you've done for me. If there's anybody in here who has things in their life that they need to get settled uh, to get out of their lives before communion next week, just help them to have that is it I moment 
where they look internally and examine their lives. If there's anybody here, God, who, who is a follower of yours and they haven't been scripturally baptized, I just ask you to please just talk to them and let them know that they, they want to go ahead and get that settled and be right with you and be obedient to you. But God, most importantly, if there's anybody in here who has never placed their faith and trust in your son to save them, just please just help them to get that settled and to get that out of their way so they don't have to carry around the weight of their sins any longer. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.